I just want to thank real quickly before we get into the, today's message, I want to thank our different sponsors and supporters, uh, many of which are here today from our different churches. And I'm not going to list all of them uh, because some of them didn't get a chance to come up. But I just want to say thank you. If you're a church or an individual that, has, uh, that, that, that said yes when we asked you for money, uh, I just say thank you. Because in a very real sense, we wouldn't be here doing what we're doing. I mean, thousands of dollars from different churches sponsoring me, sponsoring Richard, sponsoring this, buying this stuff to bring into a cafeteria at a school, and it wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for sponsors. And I went to a lot of churches, a lot of people, and said, hey, here's the cra this crazy vision, this crazy idea. Um, can you get your checkbook out? And a lot of them said no. A lot of them said, man, that's just not what we're going to, it just doesn't fit what we're going to do. And I had a, cho a cho choice to make, like, okay, does that mean that it's not what I'm going to do, or is that just going to be like, let's go find another place? And it got to a point where I was like, man, I just want somebody to say yes for a change. You know, like I've got plenty of people who said no, but I, I'm ready for somebody to start saying yes. Uh, in, in our life, if, you, if you're familiar with some of our story, we went through a period of time where we just got bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. We went through three years of having three different miscarriages. 18 months of that, both my wife and myself were labeled infertile. And if, if you want to really strike a man at his core, okay, you, you label him with a label of infertile, okay? And it was every single month, just bad news after bad news after bad news. And it's just like, man, we're going to the doctor again. Like, just give me some good news this time. Like, just, just, just for once, some good news. And I think, you know, most of us, regardless of our age, gender, position in life, man, most of us have been in a situation like that, where it's just bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. And you're just like, you know what? If somebody doesn't give me some good news, I don't really know what I'm going to do. So whether you're a wife whose husband has left and you're left now to, to care for your kids, to retrain yourself at community college in order to learn a new trade so that you can pay the mortgage, and it's just bad news after bad news, and you're saying, man, somebody, give me, give me some good news. Or maybe you're that faithful dad who has faithfully loved his family, faithfully loved his kids, and you faithfully worked at the plant or at the, at the, at the factory or wherever, and, or, or as a salesman, and all of a sudden, because of the, the stinky uh, economy, like things have gotten tight, and you got let go, and now bills are piling up, and it's just bad news after bad news. Now school has started, and kids need school supplies. Kids need new shoes, and all this stuff is just bad news after bad news. And it's just like, man, somebody, give me some good news for a change. Or perhaps, you know, you're a young family like we were, struggling to just have kids. And it's like, man, just, just some good news for a change. Can I just have some good news? I mean, have we all been there in one shape, form, a fashion, or another? Or like your parents are getting older. You're now in your middle years, and you've got kids in high school or college, and now your parents are getting older. And the cost of, of nursing homes, the cost of, of care is just astronomical, and you feel like the medical staff is against you more than they're for you. And, and you're like, man, there's just bad news after bad news after bad news. And it's like, it's somebody, just give me some, some good news for a change. Got plenty of bad news. The teenagers. And I was a youth minister for almost 10 years. A teenager stressing out over, over uh, school and then athletics and, and over uh, different, different uh, social life. Man, there's some pressure on teenagers that, that's crazy. And then you throw the pressure of mom and dad on it. Like, you've got to get a scholarship in order to go to school because we can't afford it because, remember, dad left. And, and, you know, I'm losing my job. And it's just bad news and pressure. Where's the good news? 
We're hungry for good news. We want good news. Whether you're currently in that tension or, or maybe you, you've come out of it or maybe you're about to go in it, man, we've all been there. We have dear friends of ours who actually moved here with us last summer. They were here for about three or four months, and their son, his cancer came back, and they just got news again this last week. Bad news. It's growing more and more. It's like, okay, plenty of bad news. Just give me some good news. Man, we all hunger for good news in one shape or another. I've never heard anybody, when they jump up out of bed and say, man, I hope today is the crappiest day of ever. I've never heard that. Maybe you've said that. Introduce yourself later, and I could not say that anymore. I've never heard anybody say, man, I hope that everything goes totally wrong today. No, we all want good news. We all want good stuff. Man, we're going to start today walking through on a journey through a book that was written to some people who had some really, really, really bad news day in after day in after day in. It's the book of Mark. It's one of the gospels towards the beginning of the New Testament. And we're going to walk through this verse by verse for the next year, two years, however long it takes. We value God's word as the authority of above anything and everything else. And so we're going to teach God's word. We're not going to skip things. We're just going to walk straight through it. When we get to the difficult stuff and it's like head scratchers, like, man, I don't really know what that's all about. We're not going to skip it because we believe it is God's word to us today. And so we're going to be introduced to some people this morning that just had some really, really bad news going on. And this book was written to communicate the best news of all. This book was written about 20, 25 years after Jesus went back to heaven. It was written to some Christians in uh, Rome who who had been persecuted, were being persecuted by the Roman government. In fact, it was so bad around the year 64, there was this great fire. If you're familiar with this in history class, there was this great fire in Rome where it was more catastrophe, they say, than Hurricane Katrina. And the entire, almost 80% of the entire city burnt to the ground. And Nero, who was the emperor at the time, he blamed it on the Christians. And he would dress these Christians up with animal skin, and he would put them in front of wild dogs for these wild animals to come and rip them apart. And most historians say that Nero was the one who actually set the fire just to persecute the Christians. So I'm not going to take anything away from our bad news that we get because we get bad stuff. But, I mean, just survey real quick. Anybody had animal skin put on you and then ripped apart by dogs? All right, that's some bad news. And this book was written to give them, to remind them of the greatest news ever, that man cannot take what God gives. And so here's some general background. And in this book, our kind of working subtitle is going to be His Mission I mean, his authority, his mission, our response. So in this, there's going to be this huge theme of the authority of Jesus. There are numerous times that Jesus is declared as the Son of God. Here in our first verse today, we're going to get into that. There's numerous times where Jesus is, proves that authority over even nature. Jesus uh, calms a storm in chapter 4. Jesus walks on water in chapter 6. I, I was reading in a commentary, and this commentator said, Jesus treads where only God can walk. So either Jesus is God or he's not. It's some kind of crazy trick that he did. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But but Jesus can tread where only God can walk. And so if Jesus really walked on this water, then there's something about him that has authority over even nature. 
But this authority is a big chunk of this, this book that we're going to look into. But there's this other theme that's going to come through week in and week out, and that's his mission. Okay, what Jesus came here to do. The suffering mission of Jesus is a central theme of this. Jesus repeats over and over that he's going to suffer at the hands of men so that God could be glorified. Over and over, and the last time is in, one of the last times is in the, the Lord's Supper, as he's, uh, just before he's going to get arrested. And he says, hey guys, here it is, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. And the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in heaven. So Jesus, this man who has all authority, he is God, he has come to suffer for the sins of the world, and his disciples, the one that know, know him best, are arguing about who gets like shotgun in heaven. Like, think about that. So Jesus, his authority and his mission are going to collide at this thing we call the cross. And he gives us an opportunity as we w walk through this to respond. Is Jesus really who he says he is? Is his mission legit? Was it a big old phony, fake nonsense? Is he just a crazy guy? Or is this stuff legit? So we're not going to be able to walk out the doors this morning or any Sunday without wrestling face-to-face -face with the authority of Jesus and his mission to come and to set men free from the chains of darkness. Let's just bow our heads and think on that. Father, I just pray in this room, as we just dive in this morning, that there would be clear understanding of your word, of your truth, God, of our position apart from Christ, and God, this beautiful thing of the gospel. So God, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just get our Bibles down. Let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. That's the best place to start if we're going to start a new book, right? Chapter 1, verse 1. And it's going to be up on the screen if you don't have a, a Bible, but I encourage you to bring one. If you don't have one, let us know. We'll get you, we'll get you one because it's that important. So Mark 1, 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is kind of like if you're typing an email, it's like the subject line. Okay, it's like it's like the the thesis of a, of a paper. It's the opening statement. This is this is setting the tone for the entirety of the rest of this book that Mark is writing. Remember, he's writing this as, as a persuasive argument for the reality of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the, the authority and his mission here on earth. This what what we um, what we can get from this is, is the, the theme that the tone that's being set, you know, getting an email, you know, you, you see the, the, the particular Subject line, and you're like, dude, I'm not going to read that because I know what that person's going to talk about and how they're going to complain and how they're going to da, 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 just by reading the subject line, right? And you, so you, it's not, that's not just me. I, I know it's not just me, all right? So, uh, so by reading that subject line, you know what, what, what you're going to get. And so this is that subject line in that email. Like, this is, this is what this whole book is about. It's about the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ the Son of God. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through this one sentence today. Next week, we're going to go to the next couple of verses. The week after, the verses after that, we're just going to walk through on a journey through the truth of God's Word found in Mark. So let's just start here with the beginning. What we do is we read a little bit, we talk a little bit. It's kind of, hopefully, good. This word beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 starts off, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like something new happened. Like there was something or whatever it was before, something brand new has happened. There's a creation. In the beginning, God created. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, uh, in the, uh, the, um, it says 
uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Like this sets a whole new, like something new has happened. So here we have Mark picking up on that same idea that something new is happening. It's not something new to God, but something new to people here on earth. The plan of God's redemption of man is older than the universe itself. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, we read that God chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless. So however old the universe is, before that, we were already in God's eyes. The thing of Jesus coming to the world to die for the sins of people was not new to God. God did not wake up when Jesus was 30 years old and say, hey, I've got an idea. Let's do something different today. Let's do something new. Let's do something crazy. It, it was revealed. It was made known. It was decided in eternity past. God's plan to reveal his grace was established before anything else was established. But to us here on earth, to humanity, us here on the ground, us walking in this, around this ball of dirt called earth, man, this is something new. This was the beginning of something amazing. For years, the Israelites had lived under this pressure, this weight of this thing called the Old Testament law, where they thought if they did things and didn't do things, they could ultimately get, God to get God's pleasure. But the reality was, if you just broke one piece of it, you were in violation of all of it. And so this was brand new to these Jews. But to the others, the others who are non-Jews, to Gentiles, there really wasn't a, a system of, of, of God's revealed word. And so they had uh, all sorts of different crazy belief systems. And so ultimately, this is brand new to the Gentile and to the Jew as well. To humanity, something new was happening. The beginning of something new, something amazing, something that is borderline even unbelievable, almost too good to be true. This word beginning also emphasizes the idea of preeminence, okay? So like if you have a deck of cards, the card at the top is the beginning of that deck. It's the top card on the deck. It's the preeminent card. And so whenever you see this word beginning in this context, you know this is not just something that started new, started fresh, but it's something that is more important than anything else that could be underneath it. So it's a preeminence of, what, uh, of whatever it is he's going to talk about, the beginning of something. We haven't got there yet. But the, it's the beginning. It is not just the, the start of it, but it's preeminent. So what is it? What is it that God planned from eternity past that now has been revealed? It's the beginning of this. It, it's new to humanity. It's old to God, but it's new to humanity. And it's the most important. It's premier above anything else. Well, Mark doesn't leave us hanging. He just goes on to these next three words. It's the beginning of the gospel. You know, this word gospel, when we throw that around a whole lot, uh, we throw the word around, the gospel around to the point where it's kind of like, what does this word even really mean anymore? We use the word gospel to describe the first four books of the New Testament, right? The gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? But we use this word gospel also to name churches, you know, like gospel Baptist, gospel Methodist, gospel whatever, which is, which is cool, but, but it's like, what, is it, what does it mean? We even use this word gospel to define a certain type of, of, uh, of music genre, right? You know, gospel music. Okay, and inside of that, you realize we have Southern Gospel, Bluegrass Gospel, Urban Contemporary Gospel, Celtic Gospel, and even, this doesn't make sense in my head, but Gospel Blues, all right, and, and you'll, maybe you'll pick up on that here in a second when we define what Gospel means, like Blues, it's like, you know, depressive, you know, I got the Blues, you know, da-da-da-da-da, you know, all that stuff, right, and so it's like Gospel Blues, like, there's even a TV channel called the Gospel TV Network, and their little tagline is, TV with eternal value. And so it's like, what does gospel even mean? Well, just real simple, when you 
break it all down, it's just a combination of two words in the original language. The word for good and the word for message. Okay, so loosely translated, it's the good news. It's the good message. So what Mark is saying is this is the beginning to man. It's the brand new reality of this good news. It's the news. Remember, it's on top of the deck. It's above anything and everything else. It's on top of the order. So Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying that the greatest news mankind could ever have is this news. Well, what's this news all about? Who's the news about? Well, he doesn't leave us hanging. He continues, the beginning of the gospel, the preeminence, the beginning to us here on earth of this good message, this good news of or about Jesus Christ. So this news that's above any other kind of news, this good news, this good message, this reality that's brand new to us here on earth, that's been in existence for all of eternity past before the foundation of the world, it was already settled. This New to us, that's above any other kind of news, is this news, this message, this good news about Jesus Christ. He wasn't writing about just any kind of good news. Hey, I got, I got good news. We got, you know, we saved a 15% on our insurance, you know, or whatever. You know, that's good news. You know, good for you. But here's the best news. The news that's on the top of the deck of all the other kind of good news is the news about Jesus Christ. And, you know, it's kind of cool that Mark doesn't just say Jesus, but he specifies and says Jesus the Christ. Jesus Christ. Because see, Jesus is a very common term. In fact, if you take the Hebrew form of that and turn it into English, it's the name Joshua. And we have a Josh here in our congregation, our church. And it's a very common name. So this isn't just good news about a guy named Jesus. He's like, well, which Jesus? There's a bunch of Jesuses out here. But he says Jesus the Christ. And in the Greek, Christos, and in the Hebrew, Messiah, it's the idea of the anointed one, the one that God has chosen to take away the sins of the world, the one that God has chosen to bring to earth, to, to curse, to put on a tree, and put all of mankind's sin upon him, the one who has been anointed, chosen by God, to reveal his glory and his majesty to us. That's the Jesus, that one, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the one that was anointed. So here is this Jesus that, that God didn't anoint anyone else but only Jesus. Jesus was God's choice for taking the sins off of the people that believe in God so that God could draw them to himself through the reality of adoption into God's family. And so this last little part that we're going to take a look at today, and then we're going to wrap this thing up, we're going to land the plane, is the beginning, the, the preeminence, this, this thing that's new to humanity. It's, it's always been with God, but it's new to humanity of this good news, this great message, the best message concerning about Jesus the Christ. And then we've got this amazing four letters, four words in English, two words in the Greek, the Son of God. This phrase, this truth that Jesus is the Son of God, the, this phrase is the, is the point at which Jesus was charged with blasphemy and ultimately sentenced to death by hanging on a cross through the form of crucifixion. Jesus wasn't arrested for being a thief. He wasn't arrested for being a liar, a stealer, a murderer. He was arrested and charged with speaking blasphemous words when he claimed that he was the son of God. Man, we've got to wrestle with this phrase, church. We've got to wrestle with this because what this means, if these words are true, then man, it's a game changer. If Jesus was just a teacher, just a prophet, just a preacher, man, we could take his words as a grain of salt and say he has no authority. 
But if Jesus is, in fact, the anointed Christ, the Son of God, man, that's a game changer. That demands our response. So what is this gospel? What is this good news about Jesus, the Son of God? What is this good news of what Jesus has come? What is the rest of the book going to reveal? The gospel can be thought of in this simple paragraph. The very God who created the cosmos and was in no need of a further relationship than what he already experienced with himself, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. For his own glory created a universe to spread his fame and his glory into it. And man, as a part of that creation, was created to, re, to, to reflect that glory. But man decided to rebel against God. But God, for his own glory, decided to pursue man, dirt, even in man's state of rebellion, to the point of even slaying his own son on the cross for the payment for that rebellion. For his own glory, Jesus died and was raised from the dead by his own power, proving that he is, in fact, the Son of God, proving that he is, in fact, who he said he was. For his own glory, God draws men, women, boys and girls to himself, those who would believe in Jesus, to turn from their sins and enter into this adopted relationship, this redeemed relationship, this forgiven relationship with God, something that only Adam and Eve before the rebellion had any knowledge of. And this is what this book's about. This is what this book that we're going to look at over these next however long it takes to walk through. Man, this is good news. God has fought for our freedom. Man, this all centers around Jesus. Jesus is the center of this book. It is, Jesus is the center of everything that, that exists. This was written to demonstrate his authority and to demonstrate his mission. This was written, as I said, just 20, 25 years after Jesus left the earth. His authority is over all that is, over all creation, over all humanity, over the universe, over death, over sin, over the devil, over evil, over you, and over me. His authority, all authority was given to Jesus, the Son of God, by his Father. His mission centers around revealing the depth of God's justice and the depth of his love. God being absolutely just demand that sin be paid for. But God being absolutely love, he chose his son to take the punishment for that sin so that you and I who believe would not receive the punishment for that sin. In that moment on the cross, all the wrath, the fury, the judgment for our sin who believe was poured out on Jesus. The wrath of God was satisfied. The sacrifice of Jesus was final and it satisfied all of God's demands. By being raised from the dead three days later, Jesus proved that he is who he says he is. Jesus' mission was to submit to God the Father, to pay for the sins of those who would believe, so that God can demonstrate the depth of this grace, the depth of his mercy, the depth of his love towards those who believe, by adopting them into his family. Man, rescuing us from our sin, rescuing us from the penalty that we deserve, rescuing us from the death that we have brought on ourselves. And Jesus' mission is to make known the will of God. And in that moment where the authority of Jesus and the mission of Jesus, when those, those two things collided at this thing we call the cross, 
And if you have been to church, if you've done any kind of church stuff before, you know that that Friday that we call before Easter, we call it what Friday? Good Friday. What is good about a man being slaughtered on a cross? What is good about flesh being torn from his body? That's not good. That's, that's ugly. That's brutal. And listen, that's the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, where his authority and his mission collide to set us free, to set us free from the sin that we deserve, to set us free from the sin that we have committed through our rebellion against God. When you believe in Jesus and turn your life over to his wonderful faith, man, you become adopted into God's family. You become a beloved child of God. You're no longer condemned. Your sin is gone. The righteousness of Jesus is given to you. Your sin is not just covered. It's removed. This is Jesus. This is what this book's going to talk about. The beginning of the gospel of, the, of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. His authority and his mission colliding together at the cross. And now we have a chance to respond. There was a 20th century philosopher, a thinker, a, a born-again believer eventually named C.S. Lewis. And he says this, and if you're familiar with this, then, then hang with me. We're about to, we're about to wrap up. But if you've not heard this, if you've not wrestled with this, let me just beg your attention for a couple minutes. C.S. Lewis said there's three things you can do with Jesus. C.S. Lewis grew up going to church as a kid, as a teenager. At around the age of 15, he turned away from what was happening at the church, thinking, man, that's a bunch of malarkey, that's a bunch of baloney. And he became what he termed an angry atheist. In fact, he said he was famous for saying, I am very angry at God for God not existing. Through an amazing journey of God's grace and his graciously revealing himself to C.S. Lewis, Lewis described his conversion like this. He said, that which I greatly feared at last had come upon me. I gave in and admitted that God was God, and I knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant converts in all, convert in all of England. Lewis went on to use his skill as an author, to write about the love of God, the grace of God, the depth of his mercy and, and, and justice. And his books called Mere Christianity, the Screwtape Letters, just on and on, the Chronicles of Narnia series. And these have been translated, as you guys know, into just thousands of different languages. The same man, C.S. Lewis, who from 15 to age 33 believed that God did not exist, his life is now transformed at age 33 by the power of of this good news that we're talking about this morning. And he said, through his journey of being an atheist, he said, there's really three things that you can do with God. And we're going to look at these three things very quickly. Number one, you could say that, that Jesus was a liar. You've probably heard these maybe if you've read any of C.S. Lewis's work. But this is the idea that Jesus lied about everything. It's a bunch of phony baloney. Jesus lied about his authority. He lied about his mission. He lied about who he was. He lied about what he could do. He tricked people. He was a deceiver, tricking people into actually believing that he was doing what he was doing, but he really wasn't. He was tricking people to believing that he was this healer, this miracle worker. In fact, when you talk to somebody who believes that Jesus was a liar, they, they say that he constructed this big underwater platform that he walked out on uh, when, when, when he walked on water, it was all phony. He, he had these contractors who built this thing, and, and it was just completely phony. When the Bible says that someone was 
healed from blindness, someone who believes that Jesus is a liar would say that he contracted that beggar, that blind person, back when he was a child, put him at the gate and begged his entire life until he was an adult for the point which on cue Jesus walked by and said, oh, I'm healed, and he's really been uh, seeing his his entire life. So to believe that Jesus is a liar is to say that everything that he did was a bunch of phony baloney. Lewis says that's one response that you can have towards Jesus. But the, another response Lewis says that you can have in these three responses that he's a liar, he lied about everything, he, his purpose in life was to deceive you. The second response that he says you can do with Jesus is that he was a lunatic, that he was just crazy. Not that he was a liar, but that he kind of, he kind of believed what he was saying, it's just that what he was saying was foolishness. He believed that he really was the son of God, but he was just crazy. He was mentally ill. He wasn't playing with a whole deck of cards. He, was, he wasn't lying about saying he was the son of God. He really thought he was, like the five-year-old who's, who's on the, the, the coffee table dressed up with Superman gear, and he wants to jump off because he believes he's Superman. He really thinks he is. So he's not that he's lying. He's just crazy. When Jesus said he existed as long as God existed, he wasn't really lying. He was just mentally ill. He thought that. That's just what he thought. So when Jesus said he would suffer and die and come back, he wasn't lying about it. He really thought it would happen. But he lacked the mental acuity to realize that, man, that doesn't happen. Dead people don't come back to life unless, well, unless God's involved. So if he wasn't a liar, if you say, well, no, I don't think he was a liar. That's, that's impossible to orchestrate all of those miracles, you know, feeding of 5,000, getting all those actors involved to, 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 to bring their own food, and, 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 and that couldn't, I mean, that's not realistic. If you say, well, you know, you know he can't be a lunatic. How, how does a lunatic come back to de- from, from death? How does a lunatic heal people? I mean, he can't be a lunatic. And so Lewis would say if he's not li- Lord, if he's not liar, if he's not a lunatic, then the only thing that's left is that he is who he says he is, that he is, in fact, Lord, that he is, in fact, God, that he is, in fact, the Son of God. That Jesus is who he says he is. But he also demonstrates it. He was able to calm the storm, to walk on the water, to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to raise the dead. He wasn't some sort of illusionist lying and tricking people, but the reality is that he can do those because of his authority over all. Colossians chapter 1 says that for by him and through him all things were created in heaven and on earth, and those visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities, All of it was created by God. So if Jesus wasn't a liar who couldn't be trusted, if he wasn't a lunatic, that was he he wasn't crazy, and then the only thing left that Lewis says is that he is Lord. You know, I hear often that people say, Well, I don't believe that Jesus is God, but I think he is a good teacher. I think he's a good prophet, a good, a good speaker, a good, a good moral compass by which we could live. And man, that's great. That's a good place to start. But if we're going to subscribe to the idea that Jesus was just a good man and not the son of God, then then we've got to wrestle with what he's teaching. If you say he's a good teacher, but then what he teaches is a bunch of malarkey, then how could he be a good teacher? So what does Jesus say? What did he teach about himself? At his trial in Mark 14 that we're going to get to in a couple of months or years, however long it takes us to get there, Mark 14, Jesus was asked point blank. He was asked, Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? And Jesus' response was this, heard by Peter, dictated to Mark, and we read it today. I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, the right hand of authority, and coming with 
the clouds of heaven. Man, how could he be a good teacher if what he teaches about himself is baloney? This is Jesus' authority, his mission, as they collide together. Was it a lie? Was he just a crazy man? Or is Jesus, in fact, Lord? And the Lord who demands our response. As we wrap up every service, we have this thing called a journey marker. This is a thing which we just want to leave in our hearts, leave in our minds as we walk out the door. And so this is our, you can write this down, you can you know, type it into your phone, whatever you want to do with this. But this is just what we want to leave today with. His authority and his mission demand our response. What's the response given? This renowned atheist who God changed his heart says he's either a liar, it's all phony baloney, He's either a crazy man, lunatic, who, who wasn't really deceiving others. He's just kind of deceiving himself because he's crazy. Or in fact, and we've got to wrestle with some of this stuff. We've got to press into this and say, is he in fact Lord? So wherever you are this morning, wherever you sit, you, you might be that the, the, the angry atheist who, who, who was like Lewis from age 15 to age 33. Man, I'm so glad you're here. Man, come back. Come back. Press in. And this is too big of a deal for you to just be like, you know, whatever, and walk out. Man, this guy who did all these things, who was attested by so many people, seen alive. You realize that very few people even argue against the resurrection any longer because it was proven from so many different angles. But press into this. Ask God to do something in your life. Say, man, is this real, God? Is this legit? Or is this a bunch of hogwash, a bunch of phony stuff, just to get us emotionally charged? Because, man, this is, this is serious stuff. This is like eternity. And I believe that God has you here for a reason. I believe that God wants to do his revealing work of grace in your life to make you, to bring you, to draw you into his family. This is how we're going to end today and every day at Life Journey Church. Our band's going to come up, and we're just going to end with some songs. We're going to end in a time of response. We're not going to leave yet. But as the band comes up, we're just going to have one song. And this is the way this is going to work. Richard, myself, Tyler, our community group leader, we're going to be up here towards the front. And if you want to talk with somebody about this thing of Jesus being authority, Jesus being real, Jesus being his mission, then we're going to be up here just, just, just to talk with him. But here's the deal. Do you believe? Has God, is God drawing you into his family by placing the, uh, re, the reality of his son square between your eyes? If he is, man, let's, let's respond. Say, God, I believe. I believe. And that belief will turn into repentance, turning to life.